Welcome to Forecast, the Foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. I'm Josh, the editor of Foreshadow, an online literary magazine featuring work that points to the kingdom of God. Today's episode is called We Become Who or What We Worship. The various clips and reflections explore different angles of Christian worship. Now, those of you who have been listening to Forecast for a while know that I've hosted quite a few episodes lately, and we haven't heard much from my co-host, Will Shine, for a while. This is because Will recently started an MA program in music at the University of Georgia, and this includes working as a teaching assistant. So he's been busy. Fortunately, don't worry, you'll get to hear Will in today's episode. But first, to give an introduction to our topic, I'll read a creative nonfiction piece about the relationship between worship and cliff jumping. This will be followed by clips of an interview between Will and me, and then clips of interviews Will has had previously with other guests, each adding new dimensions to this exploration of worship. And then the poem, The Bee in Church, by Alfred Noyes. Then these are followed by a quote by a church father, and the episode ends with a song. So let's begin with this short nonfiction piece I wrote. It's called, Two Things Have I Heard. My toes, legs, and knees were shaking. Although I was standing on warm stone, I felt the wind could have lifted my feet and poured me over the edge. In the distance, Red tables and towers of stone stood crooked over the Arizonan desert. Twenty feet below, the bright river was foaming and hungry. Do we go head first, I said. No, you'll want to pencil it. Dustin held out two fingers pushed together, pointing down. We counted from three and jumped. Like a pencil, I thought. My feet smacked blue and I slipped into the shadows of the Colorado River, the waters surging around me, first cold and then warm. I felt like Jonah must have felt just before being hurled out of the great fish. I pushed my arms down and surfaced. We made some kind of sound like laughter and the wind was strong against our faces. Ten years ago, I began attending a Quaker graduate school. I hardly knew anything about Quakerism before I studied there. My main reason for going was because they had a unique program in writing as a form of Christian ministry. However, it was fascinating to learn about Quaker theology there, and especially how this played out in their worship. Quakers believe the light of God shines in all people, and if we listen with discernment, we can hear God speaking to us. Quakers listen together through a form of worship called open or waiting worship, in which a gathering of people sits in silence waiting for the Spirit. When someone believes God is giving them a message for the whole group, they are encouraged to stand and speak. During my first semester, when I began sitting in waiting worship, memories of jumping into the Colorado River would come to me. Only now, the river I was looking into during worship was darkness and silence. Although I tried listening for God's voice, 
I would often wonder what God sounded like. For example, how could I distinguish between God's words and my own thoughts? Later that semester, I heard a story that helped. It's about when the prophet Elijah hears God's voice. It's from the book of First Kings. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Once during waiting worship, I thought I heard God speak. A paraphrase of a verse from Psalm 62 swirled in my mind. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O Lord, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Is this God? I wondered. Should I stand and speak this? I reasoned that among the three others in the room, probably none of them needed to hear it. In the midst of my inner wrestling, someone walked out of the room, and then the prompting seemed to leave me. I felt like Jonah might have felt when he was swallowed by the great fish. In the ten years since then, I have participated in a variety of other forms of worship. I now worship regularly with Anglicans and Eastern Orthodox Christians. I'm thankful for what I experienced among Quakers of contemplation and silence, and I no longer have flashbacks in the middle of services of cliff jumping into rivers. But if I did, I imagine I would recall the events surrounding the second time I ever cliff jumped. It was the summer after visiting the Colorado River. I was in Kansas celebrating a wedding, and for the bachelor party, about 11 of us drove to Two Buttes, Colorado, where apparently we were going to jump off a cliff. There's different ledges, said Eric as he drove a car full of us between cornfields into the sunset. You can jump it from 30 feet, 40 feet, or even 60 feet, but we'll only jump from 40 feet. Someone asked about the possibility of rocks. An underwater current connects the lagoon to the reservoir, Eric said, so there's no bottom. Tall trees loomed over the campground. At the end, shadowed by cliffs, black ripples shimmered beneath a large moon. One by one, the guys swam to the other side, where they heaved themselves onto a bank, climbed a cliff, and jumped into the darkness. I couldn't see them. I could only hear feet scraping dirt, a stretch of silence, and then a deep splash. Afterwards, they yelped to let us know they made it. Along with a few others, I didn't jump the cliff that night. I did the next morning, though. One guy's ankle was sprained, making it risky. Another said, There's no way I'm jumping off that. As Quakers say, Friend spoke my mind. When we returned to the campground, Eric invited us to climb the nearby two buttes. We all drove a few miles away and parked beside a field of shrubs and rocks. 
Two silhouettes of stony, sandy pyramids rose skyward. We hiked around cacti and clambered over boulders. When we reached the top, we each found a spot on which to rest. Some guys shouted. The land stretched before us like the ocean. We could barely see our cars parked below, beside the wiry road. Beyond them, red lights from steel towers pulsed. Up there, the wind was almost as strong as water. At one point, I stood with my arms sticking out, leaning into the wind. Then, for a few moments, we sat and stood, facing the moon and wind, in silence. Now, here are clips from the very first interview I had with Will Shine early this year, an interview that we never actually published until now. My reason for interviewing Will was to learn more about the master's degree he had completed several years ago at Fuller Theological Seminary in California, where he studied worship, theology, and the arts. The interview begins in the middle of him describing his program. Although we have both studied theology and have been involved in leading worship on various levels, it's safe to say that neither of us claims to be experts in worship in any way. We come at the topic from different places, but I think these clips helpfully outline some of what it means to worship, who or what we worship, and why we worship. I heard, I, I looked up Fuller's website and I realized that they had all the things that I was most interested in, they, they offered a program tailored to that uh, called Worship Theology and the Arts. And it was a Master's of Arts in Theology and Ministry. It wasn't just a conventional MDiv. It wasn't a Master's of Arts in Theology, which tends to be a more academic tract towards, uh, you know, you might do doctoral work. It was this sort of in the middle. It was a practical sort of educational uh, theology degree that uh, didn't assume you wanted to become, you know, a, a PhD candidate. Also didn't assume that you wanted an MDiv and wanted to, you know, uh, you wanted to do all the, all the extra stuff that, that comes with, and, and this is, again, these are great things like biblical language studies or extra theology or biblical studies classes. It was sort of like a neat 80 unit, which is a lot, but it, it was a neat 80 unit package. You could get done in two years if you did it full time. And uh, that really appealed to me. So I applied kind of last minute and uh, I got in and I was thrilled to get in. And, uh, and that's ultimately how I transitioned away from Hawaii was and ironically to pursue, uh, to, to be better equipped for ordination that I ended up ultimately dropping, <laughs> not being interested in doing, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, that, that's kind of what brought me to Fuller and, and why, why that uh, materialized how it did.
you mentioned earlier that there were certain themes and maybe conversations you were having with people that, um, that you wanted to explore more of, and that was part of what led you to, to study at Fuller. Can you say more about what those were? Yeah, absolutely. I think something that still stays with me, and in fact, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear back now from a few other graduate programs to kind of continue this academic and uh, uh, this line of questioning. But I've always been sort of puzzled by and troubled by concepts of uh, uh, secularity versus over and against sacrality or, you know, uh, religious stuff and, and, and how these things how these things get described, parsed out, and then and then lived out, you know, and, and especially in contexts like churches, where you have this like real strong dichotomy between that which is sort of holy or or you know sanctioned or or again sacred, and that which is profane is a word that gets used a lot, or secular, you know, of of worldly or whatever. And being a being a musician who constantly sort of was in both, at least from the vantage point of the church, both in a secular space when I was out performing at a bar or, you know, or, or at a club or, you know, some other venue doing not explicitly Christian music uh, as it's understood or labeled. And then being a guy who was weekly in church and leading worship services, how, how did you hold those things in tension? And so uh, that, that question I think was what in part, what drove me. Um, I, I had my suppositions and my, my, my own opinions about, how that was working out. And so I wasn't going to seminary to reinforce them, but I, I think I really, I think my time in Hawaii really gave me a, a sense in a lot of ways in, in cultural sense. And then, and then how that affected how I, you know, me on, on an epistemic, how I know stuff level uh, <clears throat> that really opened me up to be, to be open to learning new things and to, to really exploring and, and just wanting to know more about like what it was I was doing and espousing or, or, or searching for and, and getting more information. You know, I'm a, I'm a glutton for, for history. You know, I love learning about the past and where things come from, but also getting to participate uh, at the forefront. And Fuller really is a great example of people who are thinking forward, uh, participate at the forefront of these conversations about the intersections of theology and the arts and, mm -hmm. and uh, worship and music and, mm -hmm. and how these things intersect. And it, it was just a great, I mean, just such a great, turned out to prove to be a great step you know, um, for me as in my own growth and development, not least of which, because I also met my wife there, but <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Maybe the best thing that happened. I mean, not maybe definitely the best thing that happened to me because of going to Fuller, but, uh, I, I, I'm, I was thrilled also with the, the academic, uh, challenges and growth and uh, mm -hmm. personal growth I experienced there as a result of submitting again to that sort of that process of, of, and pursuit of graduate study and, and exploring these topics more thoroughly. Your understanding of worship, it seemed to have evolved and changed through your, yeah. your learning. So can you tell us um, how it changed your, sure, your understanding sure. of worship itself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, uh, again, I come from a tradition where uh, that in, in, in a colloquial sense, people will call it a liturgical tradition. Now all all worship or any actually frankly all human sort of action is liturgical um you know fuller at fuller i learned you know the greek origin liturgia uh that just means the work of the people you know that, that that's all that means and so when we talk about christian worship or any worship for that matter 
It just means that you're doing something together. <laughs> That's just basically what it boils down to. Um, and, and I love, you know, operating or from like a real basic understanding. People, you know, might accuse me of overcomplicating things sometimes, but I think it's quite the opposite. I'm always into like, what is this? What are we really simply trying to accomplish and do? And I think I had a sense of, I've always, I've always maybe had a sense of that. And there were times in the past where I think I got distracted by some of the, you know, the, the glitz and glam, or to quote the famous, uh, the maybe fame, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the famous YouTube contemporant uh, uh, church video that came out that made fun of this sort of thing, but lights and big drums. Uh, no, I, don't I, I, I might've gotten distracted by that at some point, you know what I mean? That that was an essential element. Uh, and especially in some contexts, that seems to be an essential element of of the worship experience of worship ex again even to say the worship experience um uh suggests something but like to the the act of worshiping is a much more pure and simple thing and i think it can it could take on a lot of different dimensions and i i came to this place even before i left my undergraduate years at point loma that i thought you know you can worship playing basketball you can worship doing all sorts of things it's anything that's sort of like intentional you know it takes intentionality it takes it's 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 uh it's this recognition of of the presence of God, you know, in in the midst of what you're doing, mm. and and in some ways, um, I think at at this point in my life, I don't know, I'm I'm in a weird place, honestly, in terms of like my sort of faith journey and what what it is I I believe. I I don't even like using the language believe now because I think it's I think it's kind of useless. You know what I mean? It's like belief belief apart from some sort of lived response mm -hmm. or activity is is it's not it's not it's nothing it's mm -hmm. it's it's you know metaphysical nonsense and so i think i've come to this place where again getting back to what intentionality is in worship that like it didn't require so much of what had it had been straddled with in my experiences in terms of musical dimensions production uh various actions or things and yet there were there were um example uh uh ways in which I saw how music, certain activities done together were very helpful to corporate worship, were helpful for the act of worshiping the, the mysterious God that is there, you know, or to connect with the essence of who Jesus was, or to help teach us about something true of, of ourselves in the world. And I'm at a place now, and I think this is where this has ultimately come to, uh, by going through some of those different routines and, and, and experiencing through by being a member of Fuller's chapel staff and then, and then just in other church contexts I've helped out subsequently and then just in thinking about it, I think I've come to this place where like now, um, you know, um, I, I, I think I think that worship is not, this, is, this might sound really controversial, I don't really think worship is for God or, or worship is, 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 is really directed, it might be directed to God in earnest on our part. But worship is is for us, and that might sound that might sound like the criticism that we we people might levy against churches that like that do a lot like their songs are very like use a lot of eye language or you know or or talk about the human experience too much as opposed to what God is doing, and so people defer to like oh I like the old hymns because they describe the magnificence of God, which is you know theologically controversial right because God's too big and mysterious. To, to at least to the to large 
his, historical populations of, of, of people to, to have ever considered describing God. <laughs> you know what I mean, and now, now we're really into doing it for a while in the 19th century, especially. And then, and then we get out of that fad. And now we talk about our experiences uh, and what God is doing for us. I, I think ultimately that, that comes back to this sense of that, like worship, worship ultimately is about calibrating the human. It's about calibrating. It's about thinking about something beyond yourself, bigger than yourself. It's about thinking about the people around you. And it's about thinking about how that thing that is beyond you is somehow intermingling into your reality and, and, and transforming it or changing it or enabling you to do that. I think that's the essence of what, of what worship, at least that's how I've come to understand it. And it is, which, which really is, again, it's a can of worms in some senses, because that opens it up to like, well, then do you have to do anything a certain way? Do you have to have, does it have to, does it have to have certain uh, doctrinal truths in, uh, with it? Uh, if you, um, or does it have to be in a certain religious tradition? Does it have, you know, what, what constitutes helpful worship. And I think that all comes back to if worship is formational, and again, if worship is ultimately really about our own formation and not about stroking God's ego, uh, which I don't, I mean, if God is the God that anybody sings about, then I don't think that's a God that requires, you know, that requires much massaging of like God's goodness or, 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 or sense of self-worth. <laughs> you know I mean, I think God's probably beyond that, you know, uh, and that like that we think God appreciates it is, is maybe true. I don't know. I mean, like, I think God's bigger beyond appreciating something that we might do. And, and maybe that God is intimately connected to us like that. I, I might sound like a deist or something right now. And that's, I don't really want to go sound like that per se, but I also don't want to sound necessarily like the, what, what we interpret from the Christian tradition sometimes in terms of like rigid perceptions of, of, of what, how, or how worship works. Again, I think it's, I think it is deeply formational, no doubt about that. Okay. So if worship is formational, what we do, how we do it, when we do it, um, is, is, should always be the thing in people's mind, the question, especially of worship leaders or pastor, whomever is, uh, orchestrating a, a worshipful experience, because it is, it is on some level formational. Okay. So what do you think is the end goal then of of how worship transforms us. Well, I think it, like like any liturgy, you know, there's a couple authors out there that I think speak to this well, and and kind of from two different vantage points. There's a guy called uh, 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 James uh, K. A. Smith, Jamie Smith. He's out. At, he's at Calvin College, and he talks about cultural liturgies and sort of the routines. And he he kind of piggybacks in some ways. I think uh, I don't know if they're they're probably familiar with each other's work, but there's another guy called Gary Latterman who's at uh, Emory University, and I think he's an atheist, but he does, he, he's a religious studies professor there, and he talks about um, sort of everything is religious, you know, all of our activity, like when you go to a football game, you're participating in a religious ritual of some sort, uh, and James K.A. Smith talks about when you go to the shopping mall, this is a, this is a cathedral of sorts that you, I mean, at least when he wrote it in the past, you know, this is a cathedral of sorts that you're arriving to where people have very specific religious activities and functions. They're prescriptive, they're defined, they're routine, they're repeated, they expect outcome, and they certainly form our, our behaviors and our habits and our, and our, our, our sense of self-worth and our sense of the world of which we're a part. So uh, that's true if, if you become an obsessed fan of some sports team, 
that's true if you are uh if you are uh, you are really in a brand you know what i mean like of clothes or or whatever mm-hmm. uh everything that we're doing i think has some sort of fundamental quote religious dimension to it if we understand religious as some sort of exchange and uh and uh, uh behavior that like that uh gets into liturgical behavior, which is, okay. again, just yeah. doing, doing work, collective work towards some sort of goal or aim that yeah. is, again, for, formative. And so, again, when I when I think of, um, I think I, I might have meandered a little too far from your your very simple question, but if I, I if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying in what way is worship formational? Well, uh, it's it's based on your, your claim that worship is about for, forming us. My, and my question is, um, well, let me let me say this, and then I'll get to my question. It sounds like what you're saying is we're all worshiping something. Yes, we're all doing uh, some kind of work. Uh, yeah. But um, but the question is, who is it that we are worshiping? So if you're if you're um, going to a shopping mall, you might say you're worshiping. Um, I don't know the the things that you're purchasing, or c- consumerism, or um, your, yeah, your on, status. And- on any number of levels, you right. know, macro level of consumerism, or you're worshiping Hollister, the brand, you know, and in the right. shop, you know, uh, or a pair of jeans, you know, right. it, yeah, it happens on, it, it's a meta level sort of, sort of engagement. Yeah, I, think so for, I think you've summarized that well, exactly. Yeah, you are, de- when we're always worshiping, we're always worshiping. Right. And so for this, for this um, conversation, uh, we're lo- focusing it on um, worshiping God. Because um, I, I see there's a theme in what, you're, what you've been saying. You started out by saying that you were kind of asking about secular versus um, sacred. Mm-hmm. And as you, you look at, think about worship, you, you see a similar interplay there where yeah. uh, maybe the, the lines are a bit blurred between um, the secular and the sacred in terms of when we worship. And so since we're talking about glimpses of heaven on earth, there's yeah. another blurring of the secular and the sacred you might say if if the the sacred is heaven and the secular is earth and you see emerging this vision of heaven joining earth throughout the christian tradition and the scriptures there's another uh, kind of merging there and if worship is also something that we offer to god whether it's in a church service or whether it's um, as you say playing basketball or going on a walk um, it's, it, it's different. Those are different activities, but perhaps we can in different ways, bring those as acts of worship to God and blur those lines. But what you're saying is in, in Christian worship, uh, it's, it's, it's given to God, but the, the, the ultimate goal, well, what, what you're saying is at least a goal of that is our transformation. And so my question is, um, what does that transformation look like? What, what is, uh, who are we supposed to become in our worshiping God in your, in your understanding? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the simple answer to that is I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, the tradition would hold to, we're supposed to become these sort of transformed individuals, uh, who adopt the likeness of, of, of Christ, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, and I think in behavior, you know, more than anything else in behavior and, and, in, and in mind and thinking. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I mean, again, to me, it, it's it always comes. I think there are great teachers from numerous religious traditions that invite us and liberate us from the false dichotomies that exist. You know, Jesus is constantly, I think, inviting people to escape the trappings of their systems. You know what I mean? And and again, the dichotomies that they erect about what is right, what is wrong, uh, or at least right and wrong in terms of like what is the appropriate religious behavior versus what is what is the right thing to do, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. that very notion, what should that then look like? I mean, I have an, I might have an opinion about that, but ultimately it's kind of like my opinion. And, and, and I, I think I need to offer that opinion with fear and trembling because uh, of my own short-sightedness and, and biases. Um, but I think that like, if you look around the world and if you even get outside of the Christian tradition, you see a lot of beautiful instances of people who are deeply formed by their worship experiences and their religious traditions. And, uh, and it makes them more empathetic, more peaceable, uh, more uh, uh, proactive and socially just inclined people. And I think that's a vision of the kingdom of, of heaven on earth as it's described in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition. And so, uh, and there, again, that's, that's not to knock the plenty of, of, of Christians from all sorts of different traditions within the umbrella of Christianity, uh, or, uh, but it is also to include then above and beyond them instances of people who've pointed to an, uh, a deeply formed spirit, spiritual, whatever that means to people, uh, spiritually uh, succinct life that, that does in fact emanate uh, a transformedness, you know what I mean? A transformation to, to the people around them that inspires change, actual change, physical, tangible change that to me, if I read the, 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 the Bible uh, with, I mean, correctly, and maybe I don't, uh, but that's to me, the essence of the kingdom of God. That's, that's heaven on earth. That's this, that's the, the blurring of the the sacred invading the the secular and and intermingling and becoming part because it was never it was never it didn't need to be a part to begin with that's the i mean if you go back i mean again this might be a stretch but if that's that's the garden of eden story for us right it's like you didn't ever need to like separate the two things they were always this one thing it was it was our own sort of tunnel vision as humans and our 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 desire to like compartmentalized stuff that got us into trouble <laughs> you know well what if i can maybe boil down what you're saying into a few words um as something that i'm taking away is we become what we worship oh absolutely you are what that, you eat as they used to say right. right and so so the worship that we do shapes us i think you're saying and so what is the relationship between worship art and theology i think that's on the on the fuller website or, or actually i think on your website hmm. you said that it was looking at that relationship that that um was what you were studying there so what is that relationship between those three well yeah and i think and i, and I think foreshadow magazine does a good job of this too of 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 indicating the the interplay of this you know these are these are mediums you know what i mean they're not they're not uh, uh independent things they're they, they are tired they can be entirely interdependent they're just mediums and modes of expression when i say uh you know worship and 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 the arts um they're 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 facets of the the experience to worship is a thing we've just we've just now outlined a good definition of what a working definition of worship 
the arts are are you know are these manifestations of of human imagination that's what the arts are you know uh and i think that's that plays a huge role and a very provocative and pro and prophetic role in helping to shape what worship can be uh for people giving them platforms and 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 vessels and and templates and or focal points for their worship um so i think good and and theology you know i mean just to define terms if people are not sure what, we're, what the heck we're talking about you know theology is just the understanding and study of the divine god you know whatever um if if the arts can help you interact with with a better understanding or consideration understanding might you know to to get into sort of kierkegaard territory that we would ever understand uh, uh god or the, the vastness and mystery of god maybe maybe is a folly uh but like that the arts would give us a, a glimpse of these things uh and and help inform our theology i think that's wonderful yes i'm, I'm thinking about something you're saying a little bit earlier about um about the things that we worship as either things worshiping those things or pointing to God. And, yeah. um, and so I think of, I don't know if you've had, ever seen a, an icon or if you've yeah. been in a church with icons. And yes. I think the, there's um, two sides, uh, there's two camps to that. One is saying that um, that's, you're not supposed to worship the thing itself, the, the icon itself. That's, it's just a piece of wood with paint. But, mm -hmm. um, but the, what, what, what uh, those Christians that, are, that have icons are doing are worshiping God through the icon. So the icon is pointing to God. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's serving as a mirror or as a window into the heavenly realm, heaven, yeah, on, yeah. heaven on earth um, yeah. uh, through that. And, 100%. Right, and so... And so it seems that what you're saying is um, any work of art that is theological, uh, a work of art that says something about God, can we can see that as an icon, perhaps? Well, but, and I would and I would suggest that every work of art is theological. Like I was saying, all of our routines and habits are fundamentally religious. They are they are on some level. You know what I mean? You you brushing your teeth every day is is an institution and and a religious tradition you know just by by real basic definition you know it is but i would say that all you know all art has something theological to say even if it's intended or not you know what i mean i think if um if the, the spirit of god is in fact dynamic in any sense uh then i think uh whether people are you know this is such churchy language in some sense but if whether or not people are open and obedient vessels to that, uh, to that process. The things, the things that by, by just participating in any act of creativity is to take on the, 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 uh, uh, the aspects of the Imago Dei, right? The image of God, the, the likeness of God. And so by, by participation in that very act, we, we are, we're doing something. Maybe a month or two ago, or maybe a bit longer, I was at a church service and um, as we were worshiping and uh, singing the songs and preparing for communion, uh, I just had this sense that I was kind of, I could see into heaven and mm. just see light. And it was just for a, a few moments, but it was as if there was um, like the wall between heaven and earth was 
if there, if you can call it a wall, was kind of gone. And yeah. we were in heaven during that worship. And that um, experience kind of transformed my vision so that I could think of as we left the church, um, went into the parking lot, into the, it was actually in a cemetery, um, and then drove away and the and various other things I was doing throughout the day and the week that actually that was still somehow a part of heaven that um, it was as if my vision of the earth had changed through that experience of worshiping God. And, um, and it reminds me of the, the words of the, of the hymn where it says, um, heaven and earth are full of God's glory. Mm. And the angels, the, those are the angels in, in heaven praising God. And they're saying that, that that uh, heaven and earth are full of God's glory. It's as if they have that vision uh, all the time where they see yeah. that, that, that line between heaven and earth are, are blurred, that God's glory fills it all. But, but we often don't see that. It's we often, I think what you're saying is we often have challenges uh, seeing that reality. Um, yeah. And we, 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 we divide things where it's not. Here's a clip of an interview between Will and September Penn, which we published this past April. The title of the original episode is Peacemaking Through Song, Forecast Episode 3. You know what I find really interesting right now in this particular period and season that we're in, you know, the whole world in a pandemic? Mm. I am finding very interesting the use of this technology. You know, um, I know that, you know, God has given man the ability to create this, but even in using Zoom and using, um, uh, you know, Facebook Live and using these places where people are gathering online, whether they're the churches are gathering or different conferences, different retreats, I am finding that, um, and this means, I don't know how this is going to sound, but God is meeting us. The Holy Spirit is meeting us in these places. Um, some of it is certainly involving music. I've, I've led worship for a few conferences during the pandemic. And, you know, you're recording, you're, you're recording in isolation, which is weird, you know, right, right. <laughs> you, know you, you do your set lists and you, you work with your musicians and they send you, they send you the tracks and everything. And as you're getting ready to prepare yourself to record, you're praying and you're asking God to meet you in the music and that it will go into the video and it will transcend. So when the people, you know, mm -hmm. play it back that it meets them. Um, I, I am finding the beauty of what the Holy Spirit is doing on this platform. Wow. And I have, I, 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 I relate it to, and I've heard other ministers say this too, but I remember early in the pandemic, I was talking to my husband about this. I said, it feels like we're, we're, we're taking up new wineskins. Mm. It feels like because, you know, people have gotten so used to doing church the way we do it, going into the building and, and, and the people gather in the building. And I love that. It's beautiful. But it, it feels like um, so many of us, the masses of, of the church, kind of took it for granted and kind of lost some of the freshness that God still wants for us. Mm. And unless we have the people have adjusted, readapted, and, and, and taking on this new wineskin. I see mm. this whole platform 
of Zoom and people gathering online, it's a new wineskin. And what are we doing with it? I'm finding that those who haven't grumbled and complained, and you know, there are people who are, um, we want to gather. You can't keep us from gathering. You know, I'm, I'm God. God is with you in your house anyway. If, yeah. if you invite God there, right? Okay. God, God's not stopping you from reading your Bible. God's not stopping you from praying. God's not stopping you. So in your own home and, and, and your brother, your sister, whoever, they're down the street, they're across the city, they're in their home. As we have invited God into our homes, God is meeting us through this, these frequencies, even <laughs> over yeah. Zoom. God is meeting us. And I, and I, I, I have equated it to, it's a new wineskin and God is doing something new <clears throat> in this new wineskin. God, <clears throat> God is pouring out a fresh, oil, a fresh anointing, something fresh is being poured out to the church, those who are embracing it and not mumbling and, and, and grumbling and complaining, but actually, you know, we're still together. We're still feeding each other because I, I have actually watched. And this past Sunday, I was um, delighted. I was invited as a worship leader for a church that was born in the pandemic. Oh, I mean, wow. I think they had their very first service or couple of services were in someone's living room, but then the pandemic hit and they, they were a brand new baby church, but they have, they've seen their numbers grow. They have seen, and, and they, it's so, it's beautiful that it's, they've got African-American, they've got some Africans, they've got um, Caucasian, they've got Latina, they've got Asian American, they have all of that. So when I'm invited into their Zoom room this past Sunday to lead them in worship, I see the body of Christ. I wow. see the beautiful colors of the body of Christ on my screen, the people have gathered. And um, I, um, I, I, I was delighted. I was, I was, I was, I was like, wow! Look at this beautiful embracing of the new wine skin wow. and what the Holy Spirit is doing here. Wow, a and, different um, resonance, maybe, but but resonance nonetheless. Resonance. Yeah, but but for sure, for sure, God is still God is still meeting us. Yeah, they are. Um, they are participating in what the shifting that God is doing hmm. and, and, and still, and still, you know, um, I, I think of, I don't know why the word peace, peace. I have been different songs of peace have been kind of riding up in me and, 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 and falling on me. And, uh, I, that even the song that I shared with them, one of the songs was peace, peace, wonderful peace coming down hmm. from God above. And it came so heavily I think there is something that God is doing with us as we are not bucking back, as we as we are moving forward, as God is taking us, as we are, you know, um, we're we're still being faithful right now in the mm. pandemic. We're still showing up, mm. and God is meeting us with God's peace. That's awesome. We enter into His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise, and we give our God the highest praise. What you got? What you got?
Now here's a clip of an interview between Will and Seth Little, which we published this past June. The title of the original episode is Singing the Same Songs Together, Forecast, Episode 8. There's mystery involved in, in music, ontologically speaking. There's In all the arts, the aesthetic dimension is, is something that extends beyond our rational faculties can, can grasp. And yet it's essential. We need that. You know, we need to engage with beauty and, and with emotion and sort of raw interaction with aesthetics in a way that doesn't just, um, that doesn't, isn't satisfied with criticism and, um, but moves into contemplation. Hmm. And at the same time, I think contemplation isn't the only, the only sort of appropriate use of, or the only approach to arts. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Walterstorff has a great book on this called Art in Action that you may have read. Uh, he just sort of pushes against the idea of, of um, aesthetic contemplation as, as the only like role of the arts, you know, music in the concert hall, art in the gallery, et cetera. To be perceived um, and, and to, yeah. ingested meditated and, on. and meditated upon. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, exactly. And I think those things are good, but it's not the whole story. Right. But what I will say as well, I think there's one of the important things that the aesthetic contemplation offers in the religious life, and it's especially good for evangelicals like me, who, and I, I use that term kind of suspiciously, you know, knowing sure. <laughs> that it's, it's got lots of baggage now, but I think in the robust yeah. sense, the fuller, you know, sense, sure. um, the rich Mao sense, <laughs> it's, um, I, I say that I am an evangelical. We need a healthy dose of, dose of mystery, you know, to, to understand of humility, to understand that we cannot get our heads around all of life and all that there is, you know, the ontology of, of things ultimately is beyond our grasp being sure. belongs to God, you know? Sure. And so I, I think there's, there's, there's something that music itself that just transcends our understanding. Yeah. And, and so one of the reasons we sing together is because it is more than what we can understand in its power, you know, sure. which points to all kinds of mysteries in life. Yeah, and I think that's definitely. really healthy, but I also think about music as community, community making yeah. all the time and, right. and, liter and literally bridging divides. So I can, you know, we can have a room together uh, of people that have all kinds of different backgrounds, homed and homeless, people that live uptown and downtown in the boroughs, people that, that have incredible, you know, powerful roles in society and people that are, that are really not sure about their next meal. Um, literate and illiterate side by side. And that literally happens in our church, which is really beautiful, really challenging when you look up close with it, but sure. really beautiful. But we can sing together and are truly united in that song. a poem called The Bee in Church by Alfred Noyes. It's read by my wife Miriam. The nestling church at Ovingdean was fragrant as a hive in May. 
and there was nobody within to preach or praise or pray. The sunlight slanted through the door and through the panes of painted glass when I stole in, alone, once more to feel the ages pass. Then, through the dim grey hush, there droned an echoing plain song on the air, as if some ghostly priest intoned an old Gregorian there. Saint Chrysostom could never lend more honey to the heavenly spring than seemed to murmur and ascend on that invisible wing. So small he was, I scarce could see my girdled brown hierophant, but only a Franciscan bee in such a bass could chant. His golden Latin rolled and boomed, it swayed the altar flowers anew, till all that hive of worship bloomed with dreams of sun and dew. Ah, sweet Franciscan of the May, dear chaplain of the Fairy Queen, you sent a singing heart away that day from Ovingdean. We're about to finish today's episode with a reading, followed by a song. Be sure to listen through to the end of the whole episode to catch the song. But first, some brief housekeeping. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. What are your thoughts on what we've discussed concerning worship? We welcome any comments or feedback to contribute to the conversation. Do get in touch by emailing me at foreshadowmagazine.com at gmail.com. You can also visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other work posted every week. And we are still accepting submissions, so if you have any writing or other work that you would like to share, please do send it our way. If you know anyone you think would enjoy and appreciate our work, do share Foreshadow and Forecast with them. Now, here are some thoughts from St. John Chrysostom. They come from one of his homilies on the Gospel of Matthew, and I think they really crystallize well what Will and I were trying to get at in our conversation in terms of how worship is not just something we do on Sundays in church, although it is that, and that is very important. But we mustn't forget that worship is also something we can do throughout the week, wherever we are, if we are offering ourselves to God and in love to others. And so St. John points out the irony of decorating the temple, the church building, the altar, while neglecting the needs of the poor. He says to prioritize the poor and then contribute to the, the temple. And here's what he says. Make your house beautiful by all means, but also look after the poor, or rather, look after the poor first. No one was ever condemned for not adorning his house, but those who neglect the poor were threatened with hellfire for all eternity and a life of torment with devils. Adorn your house, if you will, 
but do not forget your brother in distress. He is a temple of infinitely greater value. Thanks for listening. That's the forecast for today. God's glory will